Hello, and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Before we get started today, I got a clip I want to share with y'all. Well, hey, it's me. I'm finally going to get my vaccine. I'm so excited. I've been waiting a while. I'm old enough to get it, and I'm smart enough to get it. So I'm very happy that I'm going to get my Moderna shot today. And I wanted to tell everybody, I think you should get out there and do it too. I even changed one of my songs to fit the occasion. It goes, vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Is that not just delightful? I heard about it on the news, and I was like, okay, I have to include this little bit here. So please, as Dolly has said, go get your vaccine. Because they are safe, they do work, and we need them if we ever want to resume something resembling normal life rather than COVID life. I, for one, am very tired of COVID life. I'm sure you are as well. Anyway, happy spring. It is spring. It's middle of March. And it's, uh, it was warmer for a little bit, and now it's cold and rainy, you know, as it happens in the Midwest. But I'm really excited for spring and warmer weather, and I'm really excited to dive back into this topic with y'all. So this is part two of episode one, the history of the Western Auto Building. And this is uh, episode one of my new series, Treasures of Kansas City. If you are just joining in today, that's excellent. It brings joy to me that you are listening, but please go back and listen to episode one first, because this episode, part two, picks up in 1951, but the building was actually built in 19, I don't have my notes here, what did we say, uh, 14, 15? So there is a lot of history before the 1950s that y'all need to know about. And we are just going to dive right in. I'll do updates on various stuff um, related to the show and announcements and such at the end of the episode. So diving in, um, something I really want to emphasize from the last episode, Asa Kainler, who is really responsible for the creation of this building, died in March of 1929, and he had been really ill before he died. So unless, like, the very, very last thing that he did before he died was buy the building, because if you remember, it was the Coca-Cola building, but then the company sold the building. They weren't using it. I mean, they were still using it, actually, but they didn't own the building. And then the Candler family bought it. So unless he did it, if this is the last thing that he did before he died... That means that someone else in his family bought the building. Um, To be clear, I don't think he did this. I think that it must have been a family member. He had like 11 siblings and he had a lot of children. And the only reason I can come up with that they would have bought this building, because none of them lived out here, is sentimentality. I think that's really sweet. Anyways, 
let's actually focus in on Western Auto because that's where we left off in the last episode, 1951, and the Western Auto Company finally owns the building, and now it is the Western Auto Building. The Western Auto Company is actually older than the building. It was established in 1909 by Kansas City and George Pepperdine. And I bet y'all didn't know that Western Auto started right here in Kansas City either, did you? Neither did I. So, I talked uh, about several different cross-crunchy, let's try that again, cross-country connections in the last episode. And this is our last one right here, is our founder of Western Auto, George Pepperdine. So, Mr. Pepperdine, I don't know if his name sounds at all familiar to any of you. When I first read it, I was like, hmm... This kind of sounds like the name of, like, an 1880s, 1920s, like, in that range kind of fake doctor. And maybe he has some medicine named after him, like Dr. Pepperdine's Cure-All or something. That's not the case. (laughs) But he is really well-known, and not just for Western Auto. Mr. Pepperdine founded the George Pepperdine University in California. Much like another man that we spoke of last week, Asa Candler, who was uh, critical in the growth of Emory College. Interesting that we have two college connections there. So George Pepperdine was born in Mound Valley, Kansas on June 20th, 1886 to John Arthur. Sorry, I always have difficulty saying Arthur. I want to say author. John Arthur Pepperdine and Mary Suzanne Lane Pepperdine. He had at least two brothers, Fred and Benjamin. Don't know about any others. Source material on him is scant in his personal life, of course. Um, But at age 21, on October 17, 1970, he married Lena Rose Baker, who was born in 1888. Now, she died in 1930, and four years later, he married... Helen Louise Davis, who had been born in 1903. I didn't see kids listed from either marriage. But in 1909, I know this is a a little jumpy with the dates. Important dates here. Born in 1886, married in 1907 to his first wife, Lena. Two years later, 1909. He's working at the Ford Motor Factory in Kansas City. And apparently he has this brilliant idea. I'm going to start my own company. It's going to be a mail-order catalog for spare car parts. Spare car parts. There we go. He started off in his kitchen, as you do, um, but did really well, and he was able to buy his first actual store in 1913. It was located at 1426 Grand Avenue in Kansas City and continued to do really well. He and Lena moved to Denver in 1915. Uh, They started a store there, and then by 1920, he was living in L.A., started another store. So according to the Pepperdine University website, George was a lifelong member of the Church of Christ, and his faith and the value he placed on education is what led him to found the George Pepperdine College, which opened in September of 1937. Quote, Mr. Pepperdine clearly stated his intentions for the school on that day. Quote, our college is dedicated to a twofold objective. First, academic training in the liberal arts. 
Secondly, we are especially dedicated to a greater goal, that of building in the student a Christ-like life, a love for the church, and a passion for the souls of mankind. End quote, end quote. So Pepperdine sold Western Auto Company in 1939, and it sounds like he just spent the rest of his life really invested and involved with the college and some other philanthropy works. He died July 31st, 1962. Now, the early history of Western Nile is a little bit on the sketchy side. I had to glean pretty much all of this from various antique radio collector forums, which sounds a bit random, but you'll see why as I go on. So... As I said, he opened the store in Denver when he and his wife lived there. It was located at 1564 Broadway. And then, actually, even before he got to L.A., there were other stores all across America. But his store in L.A. was located at the corner of South Grand Avenue and 11th Street. And was two-story, really, really nice. It was a great store. I mean, like, it it was doing really well. Um... But apparently when he moved to California from Denver, he sold the original store that was in KC to Don Davis. Uh, Because he had been working with Don before, Don was printing the Western Auto catalogs um, since 1910. But then after Don takes over, the company just goes crazy. And at its height, there were over 2,000 stores nationwide. Quote, in 1915, Western Auto was split into two companies, one in California and one in Kansas City. These were separate companies with a common founder, and they had virtually identical catalogs and merchandise offerings. The two companies merged again in the 1950s. End quote. Now, the original store here in KC got bigger and bigger in 1920, uh, 1928, sorry, They moved from their first location at 1426 Grand to the 11th floor of the, at the time, Coca-Cola building. And it sounds like they just kept slowly expanding within the building, taking, you know, this office space, that office space, this whole floor, that whole floor. And finally, they just bought the whole building outright in 1951. Quote, they spent over $300,000 in renovations on the building and installed the iconic 70 by 73 foot sign that weighs more than 30 tons, end quote. So it sounds like one of the reasons that the company did so well and was able to expand so much is because they expanded their product. They weren't just selling car parts. As early as 1931, they were selling True Tone radios. This is where the Antique Radio Collector Forum comes in. Quote, True Tone was the radio brand sold by Western Auto of Kansas City, while the California company sold its radios under the name Western Air Patrol. End quote. So let's talk radio for a minute. Fascinating piece of technology. And <laughs> it's actually yet another connection, so I lied. There are more than one cross-country connections in this episode. Check it out. Science guys were theorizing and experimenting with electromagnetic waves as early as 1820. 1820. We as a country were founded in 1774. It's like 50 years difference. 
Uh, but the first radio, as we know, it wasn't created until around 1900 when Macrony <laughs> invented the first radio. Well, he didn't invent the first radio. He just filed the first patent, so he gets the credit. But Tesla invented the radio. Tesla had publicly demonstrated his version of the radio in 1893 at this in St. Louis, actually. It's like four or five hours from Kansas City, so that's cool. I mean, it's, it's still Missouri. This is a lot like how Edison gets credit for inventing the light bulb, but he didn't invent the light bulb. He just created a easier, cheaper version of it. But Tesla didn't file his patent until a year after Macrony did, so that's why he doesn't get credit as the inventor. Anyway, the modern radio gets popular in the 1920s. And I, I think I remember mentioning this a bit in the jazz episode from the very first series. Um, the reason why jazz got so popular, especially here in Kansas City, is because radio was this new cool thing. Everyone had it. And so when Kansas City artists got on the radio, it just spread their popularity across the nation exponentially. And, man, I mean, can you try to imagine for a second how insanely cool radios must have been when they were first created? I mean, now we're like, oh, yeah, radio, I mean, uh, I have Wi-Fi. We have so much more stuff now. I think that sometimes it's hard for us to understand when new technology is invented, not just, oh, I have this, the new version of the iPad or whatever. Like, it's when... Something is truly innovative, like the radio was. This device, you, you could listen to music that was being broadcast from thousands of miles away. There wasn't even a cord. Like, you had to plug it into an outlet to get some juice. But all the sounds that you were hearing were coming from these invisible waves across the air. It must have seemed like magic. I... I think it'd be really cool actually to go back in time and see that experience that back on topic that was a little bit of a rabbit hole um true tone was a super popular brand of radio and western auto made a hell of a ton of money selling their product they stopped manufacturing radios for a few years during world war ii because basically anyone who did anything or made anything, it went to the military. But after World War II, they started making radios again, and Western Auto sold them again. But now they added TVs. So according to one forum, quote, True Tone radios, televisions, record players, tape recorders, hi-fi systems, car radios, CB radios, tubes, and even musical instruments were sold by Western Auto until 1981 when the company decided to cease marketing electronics, uh, sorry, electronic products under its private brand of True Tone, end quote. And then there was another really popular product that they sold called the Western Flyer. Does anyone listening under the age of like 60 or 70 know what these are? Yes? No? I think a couple of you said yes. Okay, so I did... But I don't know how. I have this like vague mental image associating it with a Christmas movie, but I don't know why. 
Anyway, there's a blog about items from the boomer generation called the Brand Museum. And they said, quote, During its heyday in the 1950s and 60s, Western Auto Stores stocked an astounding array of toys. You can imagine the thought process of Western Auto senior management. People with cars need car parts. People with cars also have kids. Kids love toys. Kids accompany parent to the car parts store. Kids hold parent hostage. Deliciously diabolical and eminently effective. End quote. And can I just say, that is a most excellent description. Just the, the way it rolls off the tongue is delightful. But it makes total sense, right? I'm going to the car parts store. This kid's going to be hella bored. Oh, wait, there's toys for the kids to play with. Oh, no, now the kid wants to take the toy home. He's going to cry. Okay, let's buy the toy. That's genius. People don't do that today. So, Western Auto actually owned Western Flyer, but they didn't produce it. Other manufacturers did. And the brand Western Flyer wasn't created until 1930. But they sold bicycles as early as 1921. Now, the history of bicycles is insane. I decided not to go into that. Uh, mostly, I felt like I didn't have time. But now I'm kind of regretting that choice. I wish I had gone into the history of bicycles for y'all. Anyways. Um... They sold the Western Flyer until 1959 and then decided to stop selling it. Uh, I didn't see a reason listed why. The most popular design of the Western Flyer was in the 1930s. There was the Speedline Airflow. And then in the 1950s, the most popular design was the Western Flyer X-53. So, really from conception... In, what was that, 1909 all the way to the 1950s, Western Auto is highly successful. They're just, stores are popping up everywhere. They're selling everything. They even had stores in Guam and Puerto Rico. But in 1961, the owners of Western Auto sold the company to Beneficial Insurance Company. They, in turn, sold it to Westray Capital Group in 1985. A couple years later, 1988, West Ray sold it to Sears and Roebuck for $250 million. And by this time, the company had diminished its scale. Um, they at one point owned 278 stores and they sold out of another 1,570. Nowhere near that scale um, by the time Sears and Roebuck stepped in. But finally, Sears sold Western Auto to Advanced Auto Parts of Roanoke, Virginia in 1998. The new owners, Advanced Auto, immediately put the KC Western Auto building up for sale and shut down the whole company. Um, but apparently, there are still some stores in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands that are owned by Advanced Auto of Roanoke Island, they use the name Western Auto in their stores. We are nearing the end of the tale, but don't fret. We are not quite finished yet. Since it went on the market in 98, the building was purchased by a real estate company, 
they did some minor renovations, and then they turned it into apartments known as the Western Auto Lofts and opened in 2004. The complex, which actually includes two smaller buildings that are right next to the Western Auto Building, have a total of 93 units. Quote, floor plans available include one bed, one bath, one bed, one bath, plus den, one bed, one and a half bath, and two bedrooms, two baths. Each unit features 12-foot ceilings, gas fireplaces, partial oak flooring, and washer-dryer hookups. Kitchens feature a choice of cabinetry, granite countertops, and a selection of GE appliances. Bathrooms feature soaking tubs, ceramic tile, and chrome accessories. Each resident has access to the rooftop deck, private storage area, and secured parking. A doorman is available 24 hours a day. End quote. That sounds like a super nice apartment. It's in a very central location. I think it, the building is technically in Midtown. So it's very central. I used to live in Midtown. Excellent area. It means it's really expensive. The sign, which had been lit since it was placed atop the building in 1952, was turned off in 2015. The newspaper article I read didn't say why it was turned off, but I'm guessing it was just a technology thing. Um, it was turned back on in 2018, and so it's still lit today. It's a wonderful addition to our skyline. Um, it took the Homeowners Association two years to raise the money that they needed to replace all the old lights with 2,500 new LED bulbs. So, as I said, I think it's a technology thing that they turned it off. Additionally, the building was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1988. This is a really, really big deal. Being on the list means that the building's contribution to American history has been recognized. Being on the list helps protect the building's historical integrity. So now there's all these guidelines you have to follow regarding innovation and preservation to remain on the list. And if your building is on the register, there are federal funds that you can apply for to help you maintain the building. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you for joining me as we explore the history of the Western Auto Building. Before I sign off, I want to talk sources. So many sources. As I mentioned, uh, I read several antique radio collector forums and a few forums for Western Flyer Bicycles because there is not a single book on the history of the Western Auto Company or the Western Auto Building. KCHistory.org was helpful, as was GPSMyCity.com. Uh, found a few newspaper articles that were helpful. Um, there was a, a one as, that was especially helpful um, concerning the company's various um, buyouts during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. By The articles were written by Janet Key from the Chicago Tribune. Um, and then findagrave.com and Pepperdine University provided biographical information for George Pepperdine. I think that's all the sources that I used. Um, I looked at a lot of websites between these two episodes. But that means that absolutely all of my information came from online sources, and that will be the first time that I've done an episode that didn't use a single book.
because there were no books. As I mentioned in part one of this series, I have opened a merch store. Actually, I mentioned in part one that I was going to. I hadn't yet, but um, I started it like the next day. So I have that information up on my website and on Facebook. If y'all want to visit the store to check out what we got, go to zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Um, I'll make sure that the information is prominent on Facebook so that y'all can find it. But that's Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com. Right now, I just have a couple of small things. Um, buttons, magnets. Um, I have a, a beer mug and a, like a coffee mug. Please follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. I am HomegrownKC on all of those. The website is homegrownkc.wordpress.com. I still do not have that fully up to date. I know. I'm sorry. It's not as it's really easy to do, honestly, but it's not as much fun to create the web page as it is to research the topics. So it's I just don't get to it. I'm sorry. It is on my to-do list, I swear. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, please email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com. That is also on my Facebook and on the website. I know money's tight right now, especially because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and there's still millions of you that are unemployed. But if you want to support the show, you can do so by subscribing to patreon.com slash homegrownkc. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. It's $5 a month. You'll be charged on the first of every month and everything that you give goes back into the show. If you don't want to subscribe, if you don't want to be a monthly subscriber, you can do a donation that is available at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. But if you do become a subscriber, you get some cool stuff first. You get a shout-out on the show. So thank you, Bjorn and Linda, for your support. You're all awesome. You will receive one free item from the merch store valued at $5 or less. So Bjorn and Linda, I still need to email y'all. I'll be doing that soon, I promise. And you will receive access to exclusive episodes. These are interviews that I have with other local historians. Um, and with museum professionals here in Kansas City. So the last interview that I did was with... Uh, oh, I'm totally blanking on her name, sorry. Um, the director of the Wyandotte County Historical Museum. Sounds amazing. The next two, um, one is scheduled. One I'm in the process of scheduling. Those are going to be really fun. Um, one of them will relate to the series. The other one will be an interview with Matt, who I have given a shout-out to a few times on the show. He works at the Missouri Valley Research Center at the Kansas City Public Library. He sends me stuff from the research center because it's been closed and I can't get to it. Uh, and he has agreed to come onto the show and talk about the archive and his work. I'm really excited for that. 
Thank you goes out to my very talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for creating my logo. To the Dear Misses for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro and outro music of the show. And to local libraries, which usually, except in this case, allow me to gather my research. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.